been a busy time. <clears throat> May uh, for our parents is busy. Maybe for other people too. <laughs> I keep hearing from parents. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, okay. But also, um, over the years of doing this practice at this community, uh, my husband and I have come to refer to this time as monk season. <laughs> because uh, they're in kind of a a bit more of a cloistered winter retreat from January to March, and then April it just gets wild, and there's just monks everywhere. <laughs> and we start planning for their arrivals, and you know, planning for events, and helping people, you know, welcome them, the monastics, monks and nuns in our tradition. And this year we are. Uh, you know, very blessed to have accepted or to have made <laughs> invitations to a number of uh, monastics in our tradition, and and we've had them accepted. Um, so, you know, we have uh, two. We have a Longpore um, is coming this month, that next week, and. After he goes, uh, Aya Santisica will be here, a wonderful nun in our tradition that's very supportive of us and, and vice versa. And then we have a couple of um, senior monastics from our um, sort of advising our connected monastery in California coming up in July and August. Uh, then in September, uh, big, big party. <laughs> big celebration out in White Salmon uh, for the, uh, the monks that we've established out in the Columbia Gorge. <clears throat> and then Ajahn Tanisaro, usually October, early November, he comes every year. And uh, Aya Medanandi will come again for um, New Year's, New Year's Eve. In December, January, can't remember exactly. Is it December? Do we have it set yet? Yeah, it's. I think it's December 31st. New Year's Eve. Yeah, yeah and it's, exactly. she's not coming, but she'll be zooming in. She'll be zooming in. She'll, and TV will be sitting here on the. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in right. hindsight, it feels like she was here. It really did yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and then when I was um, uh, I was on retreat up at Birkin Monastery in, in uh, Canada a few weeks ago, and Ajahn Sona there, who's the abbot, <clears throat> the head hermit at Birkin, uh, he really, um, really, really threw his support behind us as well. Uh, so we might be seeing a little more of him too, which would be lovely. <clears throat> and you know, what's coming up for me right now in this community um, is a real sense of abundance. And <clears throat> but what's interesting 
is it's not when I, you know, look at, think about, plan for the monastics that that sense of abundance comes up. It's when I, you know, look around and spend time with and practice with and experience a community that's creating a place that feels that welcoming, that feels that um, kind, that feels that supportive, uh, that these folks who really are practicing 24-7, you know, they're um, ordained monks and nuns, they um, feel welcome to come here and spend time with us and impart their wisdom. And they're very confident that they'll be supported. So, you know, this, this term abundance has been coming up a lot for me lately in terms of this community. <clears throat> and it's not who's coming, who we're welcoming so much as that they feel welcomed by us and supported by us. And, you know, not to mention supporting each other, welcoming each other. Our community since the beginning um, has been um, our, our focus is on the monastic sangha, and that's how it's different, you know, from other kinds of insight, you know, meditation communities or um, other Buddhist communities. It's almost like uh, Skull and I were talking about this this morning a little bit. It's coming up right now. Uh, we. You know, in a way, we play the part of a bridge. Sort of come in, welcome, sit here, this is available to you, enjoy our community, and our inspiration comes from this place, you know, from the monastic Sangha um, and how they how they practice, how they learn, how they teach, how they live, you know, their model uh, for being in the world uh, was the inspiration for the founding of this community and continues to be the inspiration for its um, being. <clears throat> and so, you know, looking looking at ourselves like a bridge is a really interesting sort of metaphor. <clears throat> you know, just keep how we obviously, I won't beat the horse because it's obvious. You know, <laughs> if you don't take care of your bridges, they fall into the river, etc. You know, it's different from a sidewalk. <laughs> has to be very strong, has to be continually maintained, has to be uh, earthquake proof <laughs> has to be, you know, well funded by the DOT, etc. <laughs> I I used to be a business reporter, and for quite a long time, I wrote almost exclusively about bridges and transportation. 
I know. It's an exciting life that's led me here. <laughs> but I got to visit some of the bridges in Portland and learn about how they were all falling apart. <laughs> and uh, you know, what needed to happen and all the funding that had to come together and how complicated it was. And meanwhile, in my home city, Minneapolis, the bridge just fell right into the Mississippi, you know, while it was all happening. And I was like, oh, that's, you know. <laughs> See, <laughs> you know, so I could go on, but it's, it is kind of a beautiful metaphor, you know, without the bridge, can't get people from one place to another. <clears throat> and so, you know, it leads me to think about what, you know, what, first of all, what is bringing up this sense of abundance that I'm feeling? And I mentioned that it's the community and how welcoming it is and how supportive it is. But it also leads me to think about, to sort of reflect on how that sense of abundance can be um, engendered, you know, cultivated in my own life, really. <clears throat> Because yeah, I come here and I see all of you, and this is a lovely practice, and you know, it's the best thing in my life, and I'm very happy. And uh, then I go home and I look at the <laughs> around at the things that need fixing, and the people that need fixing, and the, <laughs> and the kids that need fixing, and you know, my sense of abundance kind of <laughs> it goes down a little bit, <laughs> right? Because we do, as human beings. Uh, we are swayed by our conditions. You know, that's why we try to create beautiful conditions. That's why we spend time with Kalyanamito, with spiritual friends, with people on the path. You know, we are putting in um, conditions that will lead to a sense of happiness. You know, but then it's useful to kind of see where we can support those, that sense of happiness um, in, in kind of all the areas of our life. <clears throat> and you know, one way, I guess the obvious way to um, bring about a sense of abundance is to cultivate a sense of contentment. Oh, <laughs> if I'm content with what I have, it seems like a lot. <laughs> All of a sudden, if I'm content with what I have, I don't need much more. The abundance just arises with this sense of contentment. And not just, you know, material items. Um, obviously, as I sit here, I have clothes and I have water and I have this warm thing and, you know, and then a little extra flower for beautification. Uh, so as I reflect, you know, there's, uh, I'm quite happy with what I have right now. This is really, there's a sense of a contentment that is just obvious, you know. I don't need anything in this moment. I don't need anything. I don't want anything even, which is kind of like, that's the cool part, you know. Sure, I don't need anything. Do I want some stuff? <laughs> Not right now, you know, I don't I want anything. I'm quite fine. 
know, so just kind of looking for that um, opportunity to notice when we're content. And what, you know, can we be content with? So we can be content with our material items, with our, you know, glass and cushion and shawl, whatever. We can be content with our um, beyond that, you know, with our conditions. So it's a little, it's a little chilly. It's a little noisy. Those are my perceptions, right, of the conditions. But it's also very bright, you know. Very loving, very easy to be here. No? Those are, they're all conditions. So wondering, sort of reflecting on how I can be content with the conditions just as they are. And that doesn't mean that we don't, I always have to say this because we just have a reputation, you know. <laughs> it doesn't mean <laughs> that we don't make a change as needed. You know, we don't need to be content with, you know, racism and violence and all the things. But we can accept that they are part of our conditions. And from that place of accepting reality, what it looks like, what it is, where it is around us, how it manifests, then we can make a move that makes sense, that comes from um, an embodied intelligence. I'm accepting what I see to be the reality of the situation. It's time to make a move. So being content doesn't mean not growing. It doesn't mean not improving. It doesn't mean not letting people know what our needs are, making requests, or making boundaries. It means being really in touch with reality with things as they are so that we can make the next right, take the next right step. This is how it is. Let's move towards skillfulness. So we're always moving towards skillfulness if we can. And we can also be content with you know, the unknown, with not knowing, with not understanding reality, with being confused, we can recognize not knowing as a condition of our existence. It's, it pains me to say that, you know, Donald Rumsfeld was one of my teachers, but I think some of you might be too young or, or too are too happy (laughs) 
to have paid any attention to Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> but he had this famous quote, and I'm going to bungle it, but it was something like, you know, there are knowns and there are unknowns and there are known knowns and there are known unknowns, right? Anybody? Okay. <clears throat> well, Donald, it's true. <laughs> and it's a reality for just, li just living in this world. There are some things we know based on our, you know, intelligence or experience or learning or whatever. There are some things we don't know. You know, I don't know. Oh, I guess I do know what time it is. I don't know what temperature it is, say. You know, there is a temperature. <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> and then there are things, you know, that are unknown that we don't even know exist, that we don't even know can be known. And, you know, sort of keeping that kind of framework in our practice is very liberating. It's very liberating. It keeps us humble. It keeps us interested. It keeps us curious, or for, in my experience, keeps me humble, keeps me interested, keeps me curious, helps me listen, you know, being content with that I might be that I might be wrong about something, <laughs> that I might have misremembered something or misperceived something or misheard something or mis said something. <laughs> Just knowing that recognizing that we don't ever have the full picture. And we can be content with that. We can be content with not having the full picture. And then we find ways to be adaptable, to be flexible, to be open to continuously learning. Okay, somebody did a bio on me, just this little thing in a paper, years and years and years ago. And one of the questions was, what did you want to be when you were growing up or when you were little? And I, I, I honestly, I thought I knew, and I put it down, and I don't even remember what I said, but my mother saw it. <laughs> and she will see everything that's ever written about me until I die or she dies, because that's my mom. But she said, what, you, no, you wanted to be a football player. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> well, mom, you would know. <laughs> I thought it was like this. No, I really did. I really thought it was like this. <clears throat> and I'm getting, you know, and I was, uh, I'm getting that a lot from my mom now because I don't remember <laughs> my childhood, but she does. <laughs> so I just let her tell me, okay, I want to be a football player. I probably really thought I was going to be a football player. <laughs> but just misremembering, you know. That's a, that's a little one, but we can misremember big things, too. Now, none of this is to sort of pull the rug out from under us or engender any kind of um, anxiety or, um, you know, to erode our self-esteem or our confidence or our ability to be, you know, in the world. Uh, but the opposite, actually, it's the ability to be really open to whatever is 
as it comes. And then to let go, you know. Maybe my mom thought I was wanted to be a football player, but now I know I really want to be a lawyer. <laughs> well, so what? We have a difference of opinion or a difference of memory. A difference of memory. <clears throat> let it go. Doesn't matter. And this goes, we can, we can really cultivate this um, even in situations that are fraught, that are difficult, that are, um, you know, personal to us. I don't know if any of you have been in a, you know, relationship. <laughs> I guarantee two people in the same room do not have the same memory of that, <laughs> whatever the experience was, whether it was dinner or the way somebody acted or who's supposed to drive someone somewhere or who agreed to do the dishes or where even it was. Oh, it was this restaurant. Oh, it was that restaurant. And we went to this restaurant. Well, you had the sushi. We do this all the time. And it's this interest in creating a position, being right, not feeling like we're fallible, what's wrong with my mind, you know, that I can't remember this thing, what's wrong with you, were you not paying attention when we were having sushi and you think it was Thai, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong with you, what's wrong with me, memory is uh, fallible. So being content with the fallibility of these conditioned um, <clears throat> phenomena, our memory, our thinking, our perceptions. My husband thinks everything that is green is blue. He's wrong. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> I'll never know what he's talking about because <laughs> I never can recognize the thing. <laughs> or maybe everything that is green is actually blue or something. Maybe it's me. doesn't matter. So being content, being content with our things, being content with our conditions, being content with what we don't know, that there is something, you know, that we're just not privy to, being open to learning what that is, being content with our differences of opinion, our way of being in the world that doesn't line up with people we love and don't love. <laughs> and again, it's just this It's just this lens through which we can see reality. Contentment in this tradition, I guess, in this, the way we define it, is being with what is, being with the changing conditions, and then using what we're learning to move forward in a way that makes sense, that is skillful. <clears throat> And when we do that, when we start to look at things this way, 
then there is that sense of abundance arising. We have everything we need, that we know everything we need to know. <clears throat> and we can adapt as things come our way. So I will, I'll leave it there. Thank you for your kind attention. So would you like to say anything or add anything? Or? Just very briefly, when you were talking about the, um, I heard a story of Ajahn Sumedho once went to visit his sister and uh, she had a bunch of magazines on the table, coffee table, and he picked up an REI magazine and he was strumming through it. And he said, <clears throat> I saw a lot of things that I liked in that magazine but I didn't see anything I wanted. Mm. I can't do that to this day if I pick up an REI magazine, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the purchase of a brand new pair of Tevas. <laughs> um, but also, I, I, it really struck me because it reminded, it uh, gave me a little insight on, somebody recently asked me, you just traveled with Lung Porpasno for the last month. Uh, I'd, he's coming to town next week. I'd like to make him an offering. Can you tell me something he might like? And so I thought about it for, I, I let it sit in my, the back of my mind for the entire day. And I wrote them the next day and I'm like, you know, I don't know why, but I cannot come up with anything. Uh, you know, yeah, I just traveled with him. Why can't I think of something? And that talk made me realize it's because he's content. He was contented with everything that we did. All, we had a lot of interruptions with things that we had planned to do that we couldn't do. But it was a wonderful trip. But it left me with there was nothing that came to mind that he wanted. I thought that was really, oh yeah, that's what it was. He was contented. <laughs> so that was tying in with the bridge. You know, yeah, that's exactly what we are. We're a bridge for this place, this community. Uh, Jessica's, my Alistair's intention is to support an atmosphere of which people can come in touch, in contact, draw near these monastics, men and women, who are contented through their practice with the Dhamma. They're contented with their life, and they have techniques from the Buddha to work on those elements, those habits that come up that say, I'm, I am not contented. Oh, let's address that, and then relax in, in, that, uh, in that contentment. We can learn this. I mean, just imagine what your life would be like if you weren't driven by your wants, if you didn't take action based on what I want or what I resent, imagine what life would be like. You would be ch choosing actions based on wisdom as opposed to what I like and what I don't like. A whole different story. 
So let's, let's work on it. Let's work on it together. 